Good morning and welcome to Ask Andy. This is a daily podcast about personal injury practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm Andrew Newworth. You can reach me at 215-259-3687 or on the web at newworthlaw.com. I wanted to talk to you today briefly about comparative negligence, which is the law, the rule in <clears throat> Pennsylvania. So comparative negligence is essentially the concept that it's okay if you who were injured were somewhat at fault as long as you're not more than 50% at fault. So how does that play out in your typical case? I went to see a lady yesterday. She's walking down the street. She trips and falls on something that shouldn't have been there. And she breaks her ankle. So... In your typical slip and fall case, there's usually some element of what we call comparative negligence. You know, the lady was walking down the street. Was she looking where she was going is going to be the entire issue in the entire case. Because if she broke her ankle, we know what the injury was. In Pennsylvania, to recover, you've got to be less than, you know, 51%. Less than 50% negligent is, you know, generally the rule. So... You know, as a lawyer trying to run a business, you wouldn't want to take a lot of cases where someone's 50% responsible for their injuries because, you know, juries aren't going to look too kindly on that. You know, why wasn't the lady looking? Why didn't she see what she fell on? Um, You know, especially in cases where the incident occurs around your house, you know, maybe you have a better familiarity with that and you should be more aware. You know, if you're visiting a place for the first time, you have less responsibility, maybe less culpability on that. So, you know, are there situations where 50-50 is okay to bring a case for? Sure. You know, I've got cases now that I'm working on where, you know, there are horrific, horrific, you know, damages, you know, well into the high six-figure damages. And, you know, if the injured person's only 50% responsible, then fine, they're going to get 50% of a, of a you know, big number. But on your typical case, under a $100,000 case, you know, as a lawyer, you don't want to take those cases necessarily because you don't want to, one, you don't want to lose, two, you don't want to risk the money and lose, and three, you know, what's going to happen? You're going to have an unhappy client at the end of the process. And, and most people, when they come to me, understand that, like, well, you know, <laughs> I, I was somewhat responsible, and then you've got to have a serious conversation with them. But so the rule is 50 percent, usually in slip and fall cases, which are kind of the more risky, you know, basic cases we handle, you know, you got to assume that a jury is going to put 25 percent liability on your client. So what does that mean? Ladies walking down the street or she's walking through a commercial property. She's at a mall. She slips on ice. She falls. She breaks her knee. Okay. So there are two parts of every case. One is, you know, was someone negligent? Two is, was someone injured as a result? In that fall on ice situation, you know, maybe a jury would put 25% liability on the lady for not seeing the ice or not being super careful on an icy day. But most of the time, they're going to put most of the responsibility on the corporate landowner who didn't keep the walkways safe but still wanted people to come shop at their stores. So that's kind of the basic lay of the land. In most car accident cases, you're not going to, you know, worry too much about comparative fault. 
you know, in car accident cases, you're not going to see a lot of comparative fault situations that are going to get <clears throat> brought as lawsuits. You know, maybe they're <laughs> two people turning left at the same time hit each other um, or people pulling out from a stop sign. But those aren't necessarily going to be the sort of cases that are jumping up and down for lawyers to take. You know, particularly the, in the medical malpractice situation, there really is, you know, hardly ever any comparative negligence. You know, if you're in for surgery and the doctor does something wrong during the surgery, you were unconscious, couldn't have contributed to it. The defense bar may try and say that, you know, you had some pre-existing condition that may have contributed to this unfortunate outcome. But for the most part, you know, in the MedMal situation, you're not going to see comparative negligence. It's primarily, it primarily comes up in slip and falls. And then there's always an element of, you know, assumption of the risk is a legal theory that, <clears throat> you know, maybe you contributed in some way to your damages. And it's not quite explicitly stated as comparative negligence. So in my carbon monoxide cases, for example, there's always a lot of questioning of the homeowners, you know, did you have carbon monoxide detectors? Now, is that, you know, the fault of the homeowner for not having one? Yeah. Did it cause the problem? No, obviously the carbon monoxide was generated by a, a faulty furnace or a faulty vent or this or that. But, you know, could the danger have been avoided? Was there a chance to avoid it? Yeah. You know, in that situation, maybe the detector should have been there, and that'll be argued or suggested by defense counsel throughout the course of the case. You know, and the, and the client often will admit or agree that, yeah, there should have been one and there wasn't, and, and you know, they bear some responsibility for that. So there's always some element of, did you do something? The classic example, when I was a law student, um, I worked for a judge who I didn't like too much, and I was in upstate New York, and we had a horrible case that he was trying to decide where a gentleman was sitting on a pickup truck on the infield, so in the interior circle of a, a truck race at a dirt track in upstate New York. And a wheel from one of the trucks in the race flew off the truck during the race and cut this person's legs off at the knees while he was just watching the race. And, you know, the law on stadium situations is you, you, you largely accept the fact that things might happen in the course of the race or the game that might injure you. So if you're at a baseball game and the ball hits you in the head, you know, that's on you. The baseball team's not responsible. Um, it's a little different in, in some of the other sports, but in that situation where the wheel flew off and took the guy's legs off, you know, the research was leading towards the judge's conclusion that, hey, look, this guy assumed the risk of this injury by sitting in the infield of a car race or a truck race. I wasn't too happy about it, but, you know, my job was to write and present opinions or present research to the judge for him to decide. In the baseball scenario, you know, if you're hit in the head by a baseball and injured, that's a foul ball, you know, or a home run, for the most part, the law says that's your fault or that's, you know, you assume the risk of being at a baseball game knowing that you could get hit. Now, is that 100% true in all the cases? No. Are there exceptions? Yes. The, the more typical exception there is hockey where you've got a really hard puck moving very fast all the time. 
and some you know arenas have been held responsible for not having high enough uh, glass or high enough netting to prevent spectators from being hit by these you know 100 mile an hour puck that's coming at them and the spectator almost doesn't have a chance no matter how uh, how good they are paying attention but you know there's this tension there between the spectator wants to see the game clearly without a net in front of them and the arena saying geez we got these really fast dangerous objects flying through the air we don't want to you know kill our, or or maim our, our spectators because that's bad we don't want to make it dangerous to come to the arena so you know is that an example of comparative negligence you know there's a suggestion in assumption of the risk that the spectator is somehow at fault. There's slightly different concepts, assumption of the risk versus comparative negligence, but they're, you know, largely the same argument once you get down to it. So those are kind of some of the things that can reduce your the ultimate value of your case because most cases don't get to trial. You know, 96% of cases are settled before trial or on the eve of trial. And so much of what we do in our practice is, you know, figuring out value. So in this situation, how does this fit into value? Well, if you have a $100,000 case, but the lawyer thinks that a jury would assign 30% liability to the client, the injured person, then your $100,000 case becomes a $70,000 case, you know, or or $65,000 case or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, the client may not like it, but that's that's the reality is if you push it all the way to trial, you'd get a lot of argument back from the other side that, hey, you, you contributed to this. Maybe not, you know, maybe you didn't cause it, but you certainly didn't help avoid it. So, you know, rightfully or wrongfully, that's how case values are decided in these cases where there is some negligence on both sides. That's it for today. Again, I'm Andrew Newworth. This is Ask Andy, and I hold people accountable. <laughs>